very ready to participate in this. I'm just so happy to be here. Yeah, yeah that's very convincing. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Adam Roberts. Welcome to Lunch Therapy. I'm here again with my husband, Craig Johnson. <laughs> He's very happy to be here. Well, you were just you were you were trying to dictate to me sort of uh, how to how to do these introductions. And well, to be fair, um, I had to make Craig redo this introduction because I had some technical difficulties, and he was not so thrilled about having to redo it. I'm I'm thrilled to be here, though. Just thrilled. <laughs> Um, okay, well, this week's episode is very special. I mean, people are asking, are you going to do a Thanksgiving episode? And this kind of flies in the face of that because it is a episode with Carly Shortino, who is not an expert at stuffing turkeys. She's a sex columnist. That's why Craig <laughs> that's, is that's laughing. <laughs> um, and she writes um, the Breathless column for Vogue magazine, but she also is the host of Slut Ever on um, Showtime. Wait, what is what is Slut Ever on Vice? Sorry, on Vice. Oh my god, I'm like my brain is Vice crazy. is going to sue you. I know, but she's amazing. She's so smart, so funny, and we talk all about the relationship between sex and food. I think those two have been inextricably linked through since the dawn of time. It's true. They're, they're both carnal pleasures of a sort. That doesn't mean that you, you know, have to roll around in avocado toast. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the modern equivalent. Yes, nothing sexier than rolling around in avocado toast. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of like whipped cream is so cliched. I'm trying right. to think of what the modern equivalent of a sex, sex food play would be. Uh, avocado toast. Yeah, with, I guess so. With organic radishes. Yeah, maybe. Or there's like naked sushi. Yeah, that's tra- That's really skeezy, though. I so you don't want to come home one day and like find me lying on the dining room table covered in sushi? God help us all. <laughs> well, the other thing we should talk about, because we definitely don't get into it in this podcast, is Thanksgiving. Um, every year, Craig and I go to Boca Raton, Florida to be with my family. We'll see my mom, who was on one of the episodes of Lunch Therapy, if you haven't listened already. Listen yeah, it's, to that. A, it's a tradition. I've been going there for... I didn't. I don't think I w- went the first year we dated so but 12 years yeah well we've we've been together 13 years so you've gone 12 years and going to Boca Raton Florida for Thanksgiving is is has its rituals um there were those years where I tried to cook for my family yeah Craig was there for some of that it didn't go over so well I think there was just a lot of conflict um about control in the kitchen that's putting it mildly. Yes. There's just a lot of control freaks. And, you know, honestly, it just became a lot easier to use a quote that my mom always says, which she likes to say, it's just easier. Um, we just go to their golf club for Thanksgiving dinner and we have turkey carved. And you know I have to say that Thanksgiving buffet spread at the club mm-hmm. is delicious. Well, it's so funny because it's like Thanksgiving is the one night of the year most people cook. And it is the one night of the year where I absolutely don't cook anymore. And I don't really feel bad about it. I mean, I think it would be one thing if I was hosting it here. Like if people were coming to L.A. for Thanksgiving, I would absolutely not want to go to a restaurant. And I would pull out all the stops and do a big thing in our, you know, here. But when I go to Florida, it's like I don't want to like cook in an unfamiliar kitchen. I don't want to have to go to Publix and start. And not that anything's wrong with Publix, but I just don't know where all the things are. Well, and it's just not part of your... Um... <coughs> It's just not part of your your family's tr- tradition. Actually, right. it's it's unique in that way. Yeah. What's that line in that play? Uh, uh, Other desert cities um, about going to things. Oh yeah. What do you call people who go to the club? Uh, oh on- no 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 no. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh shit. I'm screwing screwing. No, it's like story. what do you call people who go to the club? It's some, on- there's something like what kind going of people- to the club oh, for for Thanksgiving. What kind of people go to the club for Thanksgiving? No, it's Christmas. I thought. Oh. For- no, for Thanksgiving. Well, no, the joke makes more sense. You might want to cut this section out no. of the opening. <laughs> it's like, what kind of people go to the, go to a club for Christmas? And the answer is Jews. No, 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 no. They're talking about Thanksgiving. Who goes to the club for Thanksgiving? We're going to have to have John, John Robin Bates as the playwright. So we'll have to have him on to clear that up. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, Thanksgiving is, is nice. And, you know, lunch, this is a lunch podcast. And lunch and Boca with my parents is often an, also an occasion. My mom and I had a tradition of going to Palm Beach and going to... Daniel Baloo has a restaurant there called Cafe Baloo. And my mom and I, every Thanksgiving, usually go up there, although not Ugh, as often. It's a little too Trump adjacent these yeah, days, I feel. It is. Well, it's literally right next to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Um, so we don't go there as much. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to having 
a little vacation. And we're adding on a little Miami portion to the trip too at the end. That's right. So we're going to hang out in Miami for a little bit. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, well, before we get to today's interview with Carly Shortino, I just wanted to say, I think that you guys are thinking that I'm about to ask you to review the podcast, but no, I'm here to say thank you so much for all of your reviews and all of your support because this week Apple Podcasts featured Lunch Therapy on its main page and it's blowing up. It was the number two podcast in the food category in the United States this week and it was the number eight most popular show under arts in iTunes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I really, really, really appreciate all your support. And if you can, if you can, if you don't mind going back in there and reviewing it, I'm starting to get some reviews from people who are like, what is this? And giving me one star. So if you can give me some five star reviews. Those are all me, by the way, the one star reviews. Thank you. I actually believe that. Um, All right. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Carly Shortino. Get in here. (laughs) I know my dog is like pretty much an angel. I mean, I'm not trying to be like biased. Um, but you just got a dog? Yes. So what's your dog's name? Are we recording? Yeah, I just started. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to do that like Mark Marin thing where he kind of just like starts the podcast <laughs> and you don't realize, realize you're being recorded. But I feel like it's unfair not to tell somebody that um, they're being recorded. Legally, yeah. yeah. Legally uh, too. Yeah, that's true. I don't want you to come sue. But wait, so what kind of dog did you get? Um, he's Chinese. Okay. He, um, we don't know what kind of dog he is because he's a rescue from China. Uh, there's this woman in Van Nuys who rescues all these dogs from the Chinese meat trade. It's called care LA, I think. Mm -hmm. And she's rescued and imported over 400 dogs in the past five years from China. It's kind of amazing. Winston like heard meat trade and his ears went up because he got very nervous. It's so weird to me. It's like, I mean, have you ever experimented? We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here because this is going immediately into food. But have you experimented with veganism and vegetarianism in your life? Or have you always been a meat eater? I was vegetarian for about a year and a half um, when I was, I think, 25 or 26, but primarily because I had a boyfriend who was a vegetarian who meat shamed me and was like, I don't want to kiss you if you've had meat in your mouth. (laughs) And I was like, all right. That's interesting. Yeah. But then sometimes I would sneak chicken wings, which are my (laughs) vice. Well, it's interesting because having a dog has colored my perspective on... um, you know, eating meat because he's so sweet and it's like, I couldn't eat him, but then like pigs are sweet. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. I he's don't... being funny. Sorry. He's like marching towards the door. I'm going to like open it a crack. Sorry. I'm being very unprofessional. I think he wants to go sunbathe. Your dog uh, is cute though. Oh, what, thank you. What kind of dog is that? He's a corgi mix. Okay. But wait, so yours is Chinese, but like what kind of breed is he? <laughs> I just like to describe him as Chinese. <laughs> yeah. You have a Chinese dog. Okay. Um, we don't know. He's really cute. He's all white. Okay. And has black, really black eyes and these sort of up bunny ears. Oh. And he's going to be about 20 pounds. So we don't have any idea, but I just got the 23 in me for dogs. Oh, you did. So basically you just swab the inside of their mouth. I have to send it in, but um, apparently it's about 75% accurate because they don't have access to every single breed but you'll get a vibe but i truly can't tell he looks sort of like a wolf slash lab slash maybe like a mix of like a chihuahua or a tiny dog i don't know and do you love him already i love him already that's what's so crazy yeah i was i was telling you i was here for dinner recently and i was saying like "Mm, i don't think i want a dog it sounds kind of gross i don't want to pick up after a dog like there's hair (laughs) yeah and then you get him in it because something's relying on you because he's a puppy it's like (gasps) oh Isn't it kind of weird how much you can fall for your dog? Oh, my God. I love my dog. I mean, in my relationship, I know this is your area of expertise. <laughs> I have already like experienced like my partner, Craig, who you met, I think, at our friend Ryan's birthday, mm-hmm. um, being jealous of my love for the dog. Because like I love Craig, but I love the dog. I mean, the dog is so cute. <laughs> that is so funny because my therapist told me about that. She was like, you know, getting a dog, if you're somebody you know, if you're in a couple, for example, and then it creates a family dynamic and then it triggers a lot of stuff from your past family dynamics. So it can bring up stuff from your childhood. And sometimes if you experience some sort of jealousy or competition for attention within your family, that that can happen. It's funny you say that because my therapist, when I got the dog, I was very concerned because I would bring the dog to doggy daycare before I would 
go to the therapy session because I didn't want to leave the dog home alone at the time because we had like a cleaning person coming. It was just like this crazy thing. But I was like so concerned. She, but then she was like, you, Adam, are the dog in this situation. Like you're talking about yourself. Because I, <laughs> I was like, I'm so worried about him. Like I'm worried he's going to have separation anxiety. You know, and she's like, no, you're worried about yourself. You know, it's just like kind of right. the dog was me. Wow, this is already very profound. I know. Well, Carly, this is so fun to have you on. I mean, I have to say, like, it was great to meet you through our friend Ryan O'Connell. But, like, I've become a huge fan of all your stuff. Thank you. And I think there's a similarity in what we do. Maybe I'm wrong, but, like, you write a lot about sex. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're t- trying to take the shame away from the pleasures of sex. And I feel like I try to take the shame away from the pleasures of eating and food. Mm-hmm. So, like, we want people to just experience pleasure shamelessly. Definitely at the center of it, both of these things are pleasure. Yes, totally. And do you think that the taking the shame away in what way, like about people's insecurity about cooking or about like calories and stuff? I think calorie. I think it's just like, you know, seeing food as a fun, um, positive thing in your life. And that, you know, I mean, especially with with so much body consciousness and and living in LA, I think people are just so fanatical about what they put into their bodies and they lose all sense of this is also like a fun thing and a pleasurable thing. Um, and I think I have a lot of people who follow my Instagram and it's almost like they live vicariously through the fact that I'm cooking it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I wish I could do that. And it's like, no, you can, like you can eat. It's okay. Yeah. I know one of my good friends um, is French. Her name is Roxanne and she always drinks, she's skinny and beautiful and French in the way that they all are. And she drinks regular Coke. Okay. And I was like, I can't believe you drink regular Coke and not Diet Coke. And she was like, in France, we know that it's the guilt that makes you fat. <laughs> and I was like, that is the best. Wow. Right. It's sort of what you're saying. It's yeah. like, just don't have eating be this like stressful, self-hating, self-shaming experience because like food is supposed to be fun. And it's weird because it's like the more, I mean, that French thing is so smart because it's also like the more pleasure you take from food the more you put care into what you eat and therefore like the more you can like be controlled about eating like you're less likely to like binge on like a bag of or like a can of pringles or something because it's like you've actually spent the time to like put together a pretty plate of food but wait this is about your stuff too though so (laughs) for people who don't know what you do i mean like you i mean you're like multi-hyphenate like you're a writer you've a show creator and you created um now apocalypse or co-created yes with greg araki this classic sort of cult gay queer director from the 90s who i've been a fan of forever he made one of my favorite movies mysterious skin which i love it's such a good movie yeah it's Um, his best one i think so you've done that, but like your background was, you started a blog, right? Yeah. So I started a blog called Slut Ever back in 2007. Okay. It was very early days of blogging. It was like before there was, quote, famous bloggers or professional bloggers or that was a job. So I started- Same. That's exactly me too, because I had this blog in 2004 called uh, Amateur Gourmet. So that was a very similar world. Didn't mean to step on your toes, but like- I remember you telling me that actually, because yeah, yeah. we were talking about how like it's back when the internet looked so- stupid yes totally like people didn't understand the uh, sort of a comforting or easily readable aesthetic so yeah i had a blog spot where the background was black yes and then it was sort of like a neon pink font that was like literally i think comic sans oh yeah and you asked me like what mine was and i remembered it was type pad that was i think i think is what yes. i used but okay so i interrupted you and you were saying so you created this blog slut ever slut ever slut ever <laughs> and so at the time i was living in london in this sort of squatted attempt at being in a galactarian commune, but it was more just like a hostel full of garbage with a bunch of people <laughs> taking drugs in it. Okay. And um, and so I wanted to be a writer, but I dropped out of college and I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to practice writing. And I wrote about the daily lives of our squat um, and intended just for it to be for an audience of basically the people I lived with. And I had an interest in sexuality probably because I was this sort of quintessential slutty Catholic girl and I came from a really regressive background and I think I was like trying to piss off my parents with this blog basically and so then it became a blog about sexuality over time I was working as an assistant for a dominatrix a few years after I started it and then I started writing more about fetish and interviewing the people that came into her dungeon and then it just sort of focused on sexuality Wow, this is already getting really juicy. And we just started. Oh my God. Okay, wait. That, you just kind of like slipped that in there. Like you worked as an assistant for a dominatrix, but that's like, that's a very specific job to have. Did you it have to like specific. show a, like a resume or something? <laughs> no, it literally was the fact that I didn't have a resume. That I 
Uh, but wait, okay. But I think, and we're going to get into this because I'm about to begin the therapy session, which I don't want you to be nervous about it because it's really just us talking more. But um, familiar with therapy. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But the, um, the like living in a squat in London, like, was is that something when you talk about it, like, is that was that like a romantic, like, positive? Like, do you see that as like a wonderful period of your life, or was, is that something that you're like glad to be done with? Yeah, that's a good question. It's really complicated. Actually, this is something I talk about in therapy a lot. It's like, I definitely, I moved to London when I was 18. I was definitely running away from my, like, repressive upbringing. I'd never been out of the country. And where did you grow up? In upstate New York in, like, the Hudson Valley. Okay. It's really beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, Idyllic, but also when you're a high school student, you're like, I'm so bored. I want to live in New York City, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, um, it was a period of my life where I was rebelling and doing so many drugs for years, Uh you know, like multiple times a week, not getting that much done professionally. And it wasn't really until I was 24 and moved back to New York that I was like, Oh, I should probably like get a life together and a career going and paying rent or whatever that means. But it was formative in ways that I think are beyond what I could ever imagine because I grew up in a really like white, normal middle-class religious experience. Mm-hmm. And then I moved there and suddenly it was like, I had never like met someone who's openly gay. And I was living with this gay asylum seeker from Iran, you know, and like these wow. people that were making art and had this like very free way of thinking about the world. And we're from all these different countries. And I can't, without that, I wouldn't be the same person that I am. But I also understand that I was being sort of probably emotionally avoidant by taking MDMA all the time. Right. <laughs> you know? But it sounds like you were like liberating yourself. You're like cutting the chains of whatever was holding you down. And you kind of kind of let you like become who you became. Completely. And I don't think I would have. And so much of that experience was used as fodder for my initial writing career. Mm-hmm. And I was like, became a quote, personal blogger. During that, and I think if I had just done a more traditional route of like, and then I went to a a SUNY school, you know, I feel like I would be less interesting. Well, that's such good writing (laughs) advice. I mean, like, yeah, to like live an interesting life is half the battle. I mean, I think when I was in my 20s trying to be a writer, that was the issue. It's like I hadn't lived enough life Mm -hmm. to have anything to say. So I think, yeah, if you're young and you're listening to this. Move to London, go to a squat. All right, well, (laughs) do a lot of drugs. Oh, wait, Carly, it's now time to ask you. We're going to begin. So, what did you have for lunch today? So, today I had something that I have for lunch a lot, which I feel like is maybe helpful. I have no idea. So, I had an omelet with manchego. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Cheese? Sure. Um, Orange, pepper, onion, and then on the side, tomato and lettuce with olive oil and salt and pepper. And you made this? And I made this. So I've started cooking more recently, which is insane. And that's something I want to talk to you about too. And and your Instagram has genuinely been really inspirational and helpful and fun. Thank you. So I never cooked. And then, um, but I grew up from this Italian family that cooked all the time. And food was a major part of the way that we related to each other. And Mm -hmm. it was a huge form of pleasure. And again, like no, everyone ate carbs and oil constantly. So sounds like a, like my dream family. Yeah. Okay. It was not like a trying to be thin situation, but right. uh so I made this and I go to the farmers market every week. Mm-hmm. And do you live on the west side or the east side? I or? live in Koreatown. Oh, Koreatown. Okay. So, so I go to the farmers large market. farmers. Market. Oh, large market. Okay. Nice. It's really good. Cool. Because it's smaller, so it's not like a crazy stressful experience like the Hollywood one. That's like ours in Atwater Village is tiny, and I love it. It's the perfect size. Is it on Sundays? Yeah. Maybe I should go once just to see. Do Come like with tour. us. Yeah, yeah we, love to. we love it. Okay. Wait, okay. So I'm taking this all in. So you made yourself lunch, <laughs> an omelet with manchego and pepper in the omelet, an onion. Yes. Now, when you make this omelet, I'm, I'm trying to visualize it because like, there's a lot of strong opinions about omelets. And oh. you know, the classic French omelet doesn't have a lick of color on it. It's sort of like looks like a yellow cloud, whereas like a, like a diner omelet, which is what I grew up eating, is like brown. You know, you kind of like get the heat high and you kind of like everything's kind of a little greasier, a little messier. I mean, would yours, would you, I mean, I'm, I haven't seen the photo, but yeah. does yours you think lean more towards the like diner omelet style or more towards like a classic French like, cookbook image? Okay. So I fucked up. Okay. It's actually scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I like, com- I confuse this in my head because I do eat diner omelets, which just look like basically a pile of trash. <laughs> and it kind of looks like that. It's not like super scrambled. It's yeah. sort of just like 
lightly scrambled and then you fl- and then I flip it so it's kind of oh but maybe you made an omelet it's like it's a, it's in a gray area I see what you're saying you scrambled the eggs but they yeah. came together in like a pancake kind of formation yeah and then you dumped that onto the plate yes and also just so I, to say those French omelets I think are pretentious and disgusting <laughs> <laughs> have you got to butter too oh yeah wait how much do you wait, wait what do you use for your fat so I use um avocado oil because the pan that i have yeah. can't deal with extra virgin olive oil can you heat avocado oil though like is that okay yeah it's the one where it's the easiest it, i i can't remember it's either the highest or the lowest heating point so you, it's really easy to cook in any pan oh great okay yeah. i've never used that before really i always use um like in a pan in like a saucepan mm-hmm. i would use extra virgin olive yeah. oil but you can't use that on this pan because apparently the heat Point is low. I mean, I can't. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I, I it burns. Know, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, because yeah, I used to like watch a cooking show where they would talk about whether you could fry an extra virgin olive oil because some chefs said that you can't get the heat up, but other chefs think you can. So there's a lot of debate. Oh, but we're just more about like. But I'm like I'm like picking up the details. I'm like <laughs> pulling it. Like I'm trying to like process this image. So the the plate that I have in my head is almost like a California kind of thing. Like, does it feel like very like? You know, like light and kind of um, vegetable driven. And, you know, it wasn't like a big plate of pasta. It wasn't like a big juicy hamburger. It was like a, mm-hmm. a lighter. I don't know why I said California, but maybe it was the salad, yeah. the tomato, you know. So is, and is, then you say you make that often for yourself? Yes. I make, I eat it a lot. I th- you know, I think there's all these, you know, used, they used to say you shouldn't eat that many eggs a week, but now people are saying that cholesterol isn't actually bad for you in the way that they thought it was back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But so I eat a lot of eggs and um, often I'll have whole wheat toast with it. But today I didn't because I'm going to I know I'm going to eat pasta and cheese plate later. So I was going to say and a cheese calories. plate. Yeah. Wow. How is this going to happen? <laughs> I'm actually cooking dinner for Ryan. Oh, I haven't seen him in a million years. And I so just nice. got this puppy. So I can't really leave the house. Gotcha. So I never really do that. OK. And that's what I'm making. We'll so. get into that later, though, because that's always my last question is what you're going to have for dinner. Oh, okay. So let's hold on to that because I am I'm very curious. the load. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is, I like it because it's easy and fast and it fills you up. But yeah. also, like, I get all those ingredients from the farmer's market. So mm-hmm. everything is so good, even the eggs and the manchego cheese, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it was until I bought it at the farmer's market a couple weeks ago. So, okay, one thing I latched on to and what you were talking about is that you grew up in an Italian family with a lot of carbs and oil. Mm-hmm. And then today you cooked with avocado oil and just a little bit, there's some mindfulness in terms of what you're eating. So was healthfulness like a, a way of differentiating from your family, like being mindful about the like carbs and oil of it all? Like did that distinct, did that help you sort of make your own path? Was that your own thing or is your family yes. also kind of doing that? That's a good question. So definitely the family was very carb heavy, mm-hmm. but also health conscious in just like everybody should be eating good ingredients. Mm-hmm. Like, so my grandfather had this enormous, enormous garden, like growing everything from like all the vegetables you can imagine to like Swiss chard and rhubarb. Wow. And like my grandparents would like make their own jams and he had like fruit trees and nut trees. So it was very like, and then we would get our meat from a local farm. Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of like we weren't on to eat sugar cereal. Um, but then it's like you drink full fat milk and you don't, it's like not calor- calorically cautious. Yeah. Well, I get what you're saying. So it's an intro. I'm glad that you clarified yeah. that because I was thinking of sort of like, Maybe more of like an American Italian, like sort of like Olive Garden y, like, yes. like breadstick. But it sounds like you were actually eating like really good food that was just local and stuff, but just without a lot of attention paid to to fat and and carbs and cholesterol and all that stuff. Exactly. It was like we never went to McDonald's, yeah. but we we didn't. But we didn't go out to dinner that much because my parents. That's a really expensive thing. Like they we didn't have kind of. They were pretty frugal, and mm-hmm. that was like a splurge. But when we did go out to dinner very occasionally, it's like a special treat. We would go to like Applebee's, so it would be kind uh, of trash. Food. Yeah, yeah. That was true of my family, too. We would go to TGI so Fridays, Chili's, and um, the Olive Garden. Yeah, we would go to Olive Garden sometimes. So, okay. I mean, it's funny because like this job of mine here being a lunch therapist is tricky sometimes because it's like, I've only met you once before. And I feel like there's a certain kind of like, I don't want to make any assumptions. You know, it's like you hear about somebody's lunch and you think it reveals things, but I don't want to like put too much on it that might not 
actually be there. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to like, one of the things that I keep thinking about is like your relationship to pleasure and being Catholic and like, and then liberating yourself. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, how did food play into that at all? It sounds like your parents got pleasure from food. Like the house you grew up in understood how to get pleasure in terms of eating. Is that right? Yes. But in terms of sex and stuff that they were repressed and. Yeah. I never really thought about it in that specific of terms. Right. Because the sex thing is like, for you, you say you wanted to piss your parents off. <laughs> and so, I mean, that seems like the thing that you get to do that is so, was so not sanctioned by the family that you grew up in. Um, and so I guess I'm curious, like, so for, for you now is food sort of, does, it doesn't have that illicit role for you, right? I mean, is it sort of, how does it function for you in your life? Again, good question. So when I moved away out of their house, okay, so when I was younger, I would help my grand. So my grandmother and grandfather kind of like second parented at us. So we would go there after school when my parents were working. And my grandmother's job was basically just to like cook, cook. She was a housewife. And then for the, every night she would make a like sort of elaborate dinner and mm-hmm. was an incredible cook and we would me and my brother would help so i have a lot of kind of innate knowledge of what how to cook and you know she was never like a recipe person Mm -hmm. it was just like you feel your way through it and but then i didn't cook for years you know when i went to london i was just literally a freegan so i was eating leftover garbage food that like (laughs) here we are okay i was like waiting for like like, where's the moment where this is all gonna come together come on i mean you were eating garbage yeah you're like yeah (laughs) you're a good therapist so i mean it wasn't like ew here's like an old piece of pizza it was like you know supermarkets throw out the food that just went out of date but it actually has this grace period where it's still good so we were getting like old vegetables that are packaged out of the garbage and like frozen pizzas and stuff like that but total trash food definitely gained like 20 pounds. Can I just ask you this? Yeah. So like you grew up um, in this house with this family where your grandmother was cooking for you. You had these creature comforts and suddenly you're in London in a squat and you're eating like grocery trash. Like, yeah. <laughs> where Did you have a moment of like, what the hell am I doing here? I want to get back to grandma's stove. Like, I mean, like, did you pine for your childhood home at all? Or were you just like, I love this freedom. I mean, this is sort of the question I asked you earlier, like how you look back on it. But I guess yeah. I'm asking like in the moment when this was happening, were you celebrating it and just living it? Or were you secretly wanting to get away? I, in terms of food, I think I just was like enjoying the freedom so much of this different experience. Yeah. And, the, and that food experience was so integral to my childhood. But I think I just was happy to have something entirely new. Mm-hmm. But then I would, when I would go home, I'd usually go home for Christmas right. and spend like a month there. And it was always amazing to like my eat that food again. Like yeah. my, you know, Christmas is like an Italian Christmas is like more food than you ever, anyone ever like legally should be allowed right. to eat. This is it a feast of the seven fishes and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. we do that every Christmas Eve. Um, we do the feast of the seven fishes and it's so good. I'm a, like a big pasta sauce with like a fish sauce. So there's like a few different types of fish in there. Nice. That sounds delicious. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't know what it is actually. It's like squid, clams, mm-hmm. mussels, stuff like that. And then, um, but yeah, that I, just moved away from cooking for a long time. And then as I started to have more money, mm-hmm. I became, I'm, de- I'm not definitely not a foodie, but I do like restaurants. I love going to restaurants, talking. That's the sort of like the primary way that I like to socialize. It's just fun. But it's so interesting to me because you, ha- you have the um, legacy, like you have the, the Italian cook in you. I mean like that, like, you know, my, I'm, I'm Jewish and my, my parents like didn't cook and my grandparents didn't cook. You know, I don't, I didn't have those like big family dinners. So it's like, if you wanted to, you could channel that energy, couldn't you? Like make your grandmother's signature tomato sauce. Well, I truly, I am not joking. Just gotten into cooking. Like, oh, so you just got into it. Okay. Just got into it. I started about a year and a half ago going to the farmer's market every week and becoming more like I would make salads mm-hmm. and you know, there's all these like homemade hummuses and, and I would eat fresh vegetables, but I would never cook. Okay. So like, here's a perfect example of how little I cooked. So, um, about six months ago, so I've been living with my boyfriend for just over two years mm-hmm. and about six months ago I went to go, Okay, so we were living in London earlier this year, and I started cooking more because we had this, like, really nice house with a beautiful kitchen, and um, it was just, we were living in this area that was harder to just walk out and get good food. Mm -hmm. So I started cooking more, and then I realized it was kind of 
nice. It was like grounding and it's a nice routine to like get rather than going and getting all this packaging and, you know, it's a nice way to kind of calm yourself mm -hmm. in the middle of like a writing day. So I got, when we got back to LA, I went to go make myself some eggs on the stove and I was like, the stove is broken. And he was like, <laughs> the stove isn't broken. It's never worked. <laughs> and I was like, what's wrong with you? Why hasn't your stove ever worked? And he was like, well, you didn't notice for a year and a half. Wow. Okay. So that's how much you cook. That's how much I cook. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got so you're now just it's working. <laughs> but wait, are you going to try then to like remember the recipes that you grew up with in your family home to like recreate them? Like, cause, like because those are in your family, like, I don't know. I mean, is that something that you think about or is that not really on the docket? No, completely. So my dad, I don't know if you have this too, but like we have like baby boomer dads that are not <laughs> the most like emotionally vulnerable you what's know? that new catchphrase like okay boomer it's like going viral right now oh really yeah i don't know, I don't know. i'm like so out of it i'm like very old oh uh, yeah okay. i'm like not up to date with <laughs> hashtags but i do know that like you know it's easier for me to talk to my dad when it's about like something practical rather mm -hmm. than just talking about your feelings or whatever so i've been what i've been doing is facetiming with him mm -hmm. to cook and he'll help me just talk me through different recipes or specifically i've been doing like different sauces yeah for pasta. And so that's been really fun. So I am essentially doing what you're saying. So like, what's one of the things that he's taught you how to make? Um, well, I did first is just like their sort of classic pasta sauce. Mm -hmm. And what surprised me is that my dad was like, usually I put in like nine or 10 cloves of garlic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's way more than I would have imagined. Yeah. Um, onion, although they say sometimes they even go without onion. Mm -hmm. And they would do like a fresh, um, it's called like a, Fresh tomato pan sauce. I don't know what it's called, where it's like basically just you chop up a lot of fresh tomatoes and mm -hmm. then you do it with the, um, then some tomato paste, yeah, garlic oil, and then put like, um, my dad was like, just throw basically a, like a leaf, a little tiny tree piece of basil, mm -hmm. like a, like a, with the stem and stuff in there. Yeah, that's a flavor of the sauce. Right. And just kind of like let it simmer for like hours basically. And then you can take that basil stick out. Uh huh. And that, and salt. And I think that's, it. That's so sweet that you're FaceTiming with your dad and he's teaching you how to cook. I know. It's really nice. I suggest people do that. If you have like, it's a good way to connect with your family if that's a point of connection. <laughs> well, yeah, my mom like loves restaurants. So like we can connect over that for sure. But I will never be FaceTiming with her and having no. her teach me how to make <laughs> anything. But I'm curious. Okay. So now I'm like thinking a little bit about like the pleasure conversation we were having about sex and like this journey you've been on, like doing slut ever, which is funny. Every time I say that word, I feel like I'm slut saying it. Ever. Yeah. Slut ever. <laughs> um, but you know, doing, you, you have a show for vice, like, you know, you're going in these situations and sex is like something that you think about and, and write about. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is it like, can you be like passionate about food and be a big eater and also be passionate about sex and have a lot of sex like in terms of body in terms of how you feel like i'll put it this way like if i have a huge meal i don't want to have sex like i, I feel know. so full and disgusting and frankly like the more like sexual <laughs> this is like my parents listen to this but who cares <laughs> the, more, like, <laughs> the more sexual i feel like, like it has a lot to do with like the more i exercise the, like the yes. more like i'm eating healthy like if i have a smoothie for lunch i'll be like much more like i'll feel more sprightly and excited you know, then if I like have like a hamburger for lunch, like, yeah, I guess I'm asking you like in terms of your relationship to like food and sex, like, do you feel like the two are sort of like one negates the other? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that there's obviously like a sensuality that's connected to both food and sex, mm -hmm. which is also like very, I guess, probably Latin America. I think of like Latin American or like Southern European this idea of like food and sensuality are connected, mm -hmm. be, I guess through pleasure, like you're talking about. So, but I do think, yeah, like being super full makes me feel gross. Right. But it's also a specific type of full. Like I love pho. And when mm -hmm. I eat it, I feel like there's so much salt that you feel like almost like full in a gross way. Uh huh. Whereas if, if I eat pasta, I think I could still be D DTF. Okay. Um, after pasta? After, I uh -huh. think so. I mean, pasta is definitely an aphrodisiac for me, but just, I love pasta. Really? Well, I mean, just because it makes me so happy. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I know, but as I get older, I think, I think like eating, yeah, it, it feels like you have to kind of choose your lane, like in terms of the pleasure you're going to have, especially if you're going out at night, like with a loved one or like the person you're dating. It's like, okay, are we going to go out for a huge, like on our anniversary, are we going to go yes. like to like a tasting menu or are we going to like stay home? Because it's like... If yeah. we stay home, then maybe we'll get frisky. But if we go out to a big dinner, there's no way I'm going to want to have sex. 
So what did you do at your last anniversary? Um, we went out to a big dinner. I mean, I, I, I ultimately like choose food. You know, yeah. food is like, I really like food. I love food too. And like, for example, I think maybe I asked you this, but when your mom comes to visit, you say she loves restaurants. Like, where do you, where, where do you take her? Well, she likes like Beverly Hills. She thinks I live in like the most impoverished, like <laughs> dangerous neighborhood in LA because I live on the East side. So uh, we go to, she loves Spago. She loves mm. Boa Steakhouse. Like she likes this, those places on the, um, you know, sort of in the middle of the city. Is Boa Steak, is that an old school steakhouse? No, no I mean, like, it's I sort of, yeah, it's like a Hollywoody. It's not my favorite, um, right. but they like that. They, they love the pageantry. By the way, you're turning the tables here. I'm supposed to be your therapist. <laughs> um, but they love the pageantry. Like they make a table side Caesar salad and all that kind of yes. stuff. Okay. Okay. Wait, so back to you. Steakhouse. We're going to go deeper now. Okay. Okay. So we, we scratched the surface a little, uh, <laughs> um, but okay. So let's go back to your lunch. So you made an omelet you cooked it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you mostly home during it? Like, do you often cook for yourself during the day? I, now I do. And I used to just, rather than like quote cook, I would have, like farmer's market, vegetables, bread, oil, whatever. It's like make sandwich or make wraps usually. Mm-hmm. But so I cook myself for myself a lot because um, in Koreatown, it's not that easy to walk to f- a lot of food places. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of Korean food, which I'm not, I'm not going to eat Korean food for lunch. That's so intense. And yeah. then f- Vietnamese food, which I love. Mm-hmm. But also, again, it's super heavy for lunch. Right. Like for soup. So you want a lighter lunch. But I, I just realized a great question to ask you. Like, this is like, okay, like I'm like proud of this question. Yeah. Because what I love about your show, and actually what I love about you having just met you, is you just seem like you're up for anything. Like, it seems like, like, you, <gasps> you, you, like, like we could put you in any situation and you'd probably be comfortable. Um, even coming over to my place for dinner, like you didn't even, you barely knew me. And like, I could have been cooking like fish heads or something. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, are you up for anything when it comes to eating? Like, do you eat anything? So some stuff grosses me out. Like what? Um, I mean, I, so I lived in London for a long time and I wouldn't, could never get into those blood pudding yeah. things like blood sausage. That's I kind of like them. They're good. Congealed blood makes me want to throw up. Is it just the idea of it or is it the taste of it? I think it's the idea of it. Yeah. I've had it like, in, like when I went to Spain, they use blood sausage to, to flavor like chickpeas and stuff. Oh, and I kind of do that. It gives it like a kind of weird, like I remember like eating this, like, what is this? It's so good. And they were like, it's blood sausage. And then I was like, oh, but I don't mean to interrupt your. I yeah. feel like if it was hidden, I could do it. Yeah. Um, but you're going to say, so blood sausage is one thing you won't eat. Yeah. Like I, I won't eat like tongue, like mm-hmm. stuff like that brain, that kind of stuff grosses me out. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Bodily, like things that make you think of the body. Ugh, the yeah. idea of eating something's tongue is so fucking gross to me. I want to, like, I want to <laughs> gag right now. But okay, but isn't that kind of arbitrary? Like you're eating like the flank of a like cow, or like eating its butt, or like eating its like. I mean, we I eat know. like all kinds of parts of the animal, but just the, it's the visceral. It's like seeing that tongue. It's seeing the tongue. That's gross. Um, yeah, it's all psychological. There are some stuff I stopped eating because I'm not a vegetarian, and I sometimes feel guilty about that, but I try and eat vegetarian as much as I can, but then I love steak. So sometimes I'll like a steak last night. I went to Taylor steakhouse in Koreatown. Oh, I've heard that's amazing. So good. I want to go there. It's very old school. Okay. And it's not like extortionately expensive in the way that a lot of steakhouses are. Uh, Uh, but so I don't eat, um, pork anymore, but again, it's like, if someone makes me food at their house and there's some pork in it, I'm not going to be like, I can't eat this. So wait, why pork? Because, like, pigs are really smart. Yeah, that's where we started because we were talking about how Winston is so cute. I know. So I feel bad about that. And then I no longer eat. Um, I love squid and uh, octopus, but I don't eat that anymore either because apparently they're the smartest animal on earth. And they have, like, did you hear about the octopus that, like, worked out in the <laughs> zoo when it, like, it started, it knew when the guard left? You and- said worked out at the zoo. I literally was thinking <laughs> of, like, an octopus, like, bench pressing. <laughs> <Pumping iron. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, he, okay, he, re- he figured out when the guard left? Would, like, the time, like, the guard left and how long he was gone for. And he uh, worked out how to open up his little cage thing. Yeah. And then would leave and go visit the other octopi, like, their cage or whatever. And then right. would come back and could close it again. My thing it's is, so maybe sad. this is very dark, but I don't know, like, the... The more cynical I get as I get older, I kind of think the world is a brutal place mm-hmm. and everything is compromised morally in some way or totally. another. Like, 
even like buying clothes, it's like, okay, this could have been made like by children in a sweatshop. Like it's just like yeah. everything. And so when I hear when I think about the brutality of the meat industry, it's like, okay, that's one thing to be upset about. But like, you know, I, I, there's something about like where do you draw the line, you know? I know. I think so too. And then you can either just throw your hands up and be like, who gives a fuck? Right. But then weirdly, I kind of think like if there are some things that you link, yeah. feel emotional about, and it's not just that I don't, go for it. Well, it's not that I don't give a fuck. It's more that I choose the things that I care about and want to invest in. You know, it's, and, and with meat, like I have to admit, like meat is definitely one of those things that the more that I think about it, the more I think I shouldn't eat it. Also for yeah. the environment too. Uh, but back to the thing about you being like up for anything like similarly like for me my thing about eating meat is i don't want to like close the door to like experience you know if like we're going to tokyo for new year's like i don't want to like not be able to eat ramen not be able to eat you know it's like i just don't want to limit myself in that way well something that someone said to me recently which i thought was really smart is like if it's either going vegetarian, like if you're the line to not eat meat is like, you have to just 100% be vegetarian, then it's going to deter you from doing that. Mm -hmm. But like, what if you just reduced your meat intake by like 80%? Do you know what I mean? It's better. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I was like, that is so smart. And I really have reduced my meat intake post to that conversation. I like that a lot. And I think that's sort of what I do. I mean, like I'll make like beans and rice and I'll make a lot of pasta Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I, I buy my meat from this um, butcher called McCall's in Los Feliz. And it's, expensive like going there is really expensive but, it, but that's a good thing because it's like okay if i'm gonna buy meat i'm gonna buy it from this expensive butcher which limits the amount of time i buy meat so it's sort of like i'll do it every so often as a special thing but i won't buy like cheap meat that's so smart that's Thank really you. smart i yeah. don't cook meat in my house because it seems or fish either really because it just seems too hard maybe i'll like work my way up to it i'll teach you how to cook meat you will okay it's i make really good sa- it. salmon i just made a really good salmon the other day and you boil it? No, 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 no. no. You sear it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure I could do that. I don't know why it's intimidating. But question, did you get your stove fixed? Yeah, yeah. So okay. my clothes fit fixed. I've been cooking a lot of sauce, a lot of... I made, like, roasted vegetable tacos the other day with mm-hmm. fed... I, like, look at the New York Times okay. recipe situation. That's you, great. Are you a pro or con? I love it. We just had Melissa Clark, who writes for the New York Times. She was a, a guest on the podcast. She's one of the main, like, recipe writers there. Oh, really? Yeah, you cool. should listen to her episode. It was really good. I will. If I do say so myself. <laughs> okay, but with you, like, okay, I feel like I have to say, like, we're, like, halfway through, and I feel like I'm not quite cracking the coconut yet like i feel like okay i guess what i'm trying to get at is like does food for you represent or does your lunch for you represent some of the issues that you've um confronted in your life psychologically i mean that's like i'm being very bald about it because usually i try to like get at them naturally but like is food something for you that you've had uh, has it been fraught for you at all or is it i mean coming meeting you you seem like a very together person that like knows who you are doesn't struggle with a lot but i'm trying to like kind of find like you know oh, i love that i project i don't struggle with a lot. <laughs> no you that's, don't <laughs> that's insane okay yeah but like is it's it, working yeah session <laughs> is working. But, but i can't but i literally have no idea like what you would say on that subject i mean i have like a fuck ton of emotional problems but like okay but food related um or does food a- operate as a metaphor for those emotional problems? Well, okay, so I don't know if this is answering directly what you're asking, but I think the way that food has been associated with kind of emotional struggle for me is like like most women, I'm sure, I've had complicated feelings about food and weight for years and years and years since I was in high school, which I think when it starts for a lot of people, I remember mm-hmm. being like, I'm going to be anorexic and then working for like four days and being like, lol, I'm yeah. not going to be anorexic. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> literally like what Ryan O'Connell said on his episode. Really? <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, I was going to be anorexic <laughs> for a little bit. And then he said, lol. Like it was like literally like word for word. the same. Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's our friend. Yeah. Um, no. And I was so athletic when I was younger too, that it was just unsustainable to like be completely tired. But um, yeah. So then in my twenties, it was those, that situation where I always wanted to lose like five to 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then, so I would go like not eat carbs and then food was sometimes stressful for me. Yeah. And, um, like you were talking about not enjoying it, there being guilt. And then basically for the past few years, I've been doing, um, time restricted eating. Okay. Yeah. L- uh, yeah. What's that called? Um, that it's like intermittent fasting. There are two different things. So time restricted eating is when you like eat within a certain hour window every day. And then intermittent fasting is when you sort of do like longer periods of fasting 
within days of not fasting, but it's really, really changed my life. Because, so time restrictive eating. Okay. Yeah. So what it means is I eat within like somewhere between like an eight and 11 hour window every day. Okay. So the lunch will be the first meal that I eat. Like I'll have like coffee and foods either like at 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes if I can go to one, I'll go to one. And then I'll, because I sort of, you know, want to be able to have dinner and drink in the evening. So Mm -hmm. then I'll stop, try and stop eating at like 10. Mm -hmm. So then, or, you know, if I can stop eating at eight, I'll stop eating it. Anyway, this is boring, but no, no, it's really interesting. The point being that it's, uh, it regulates your weight because you're fasting for like 16 hours a day. And then you go into ketosis and you're burning more fat so that within the window of time that I eat, I don't have guilt about when I'm, what I'm eating really. And it's changed my life because I'm not like I eat carbs again. I'm not regular. Like when I cook, I'll just put a bunch of oil on the salad. It's so insane how, I eat, it's just that one change allowed me to have so much more liberation and, and joy in terms of the food I eat. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because it's, um, that's very appealing to me too, the idea that you can eat whatever you want in a window because it's sort yeah. of like, it's not restricting you. But uh, so I'm, I'm curious though, so when you talked about early on, like in high school, like struggling with some of this stuff, was there, growing up in this family with all this cooking and the carbs and the oil, like, was there a moment for you where you realized, oh, wait, like, the way my family eats is not a way that I can keep eating if I want to be thin, basically? Yeah, I think it's around, like, 13, 14. I remember a very specific moment when I was in TJ Maxx shopping for (laughs) bathing suits with my mom. Okay. (laughs) And putting on a bathing suit and being like, oh, my God, I look fat. Uh You know, I mean, I probably didn't, but... Sure. It was suddenly you reach a point where you become conscious of your body. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like, I'm not naturally super thin. I'm curvy. I have big boobs, you know? So I remember my mom afterward was kind of talking to me about like, you know, no, you don't. And, and I mean, you can be healthy and watch what you eat. And then us going to TCBY after, mm. did you have that? Of course. Yes. Oh my God. I would always go to TCBY. TCBY, yeah. it's, I mean, extinct, but it was the best yoga. It was the country's best yoga. And TJ Maxx. Yeah. Like I would go with my mom to TJ Maxx and then like TCBY. That's like a very like vivid memory also from my childhood. Wait, where are you from again? Um, well, just... New York and then Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. Where in New York? Long Island. Okay. So that's why we have like. The TCBY reference, because I think yeah. it was only in the Northeast. And it stood for the country's best yogurt. Yes. And we would always get the parfaits. They would have this like thing where it was like a, like a parfait with like a little yogurt, like a little topping, a little more yogurt, a little more topping. It was very exciting. <laughs> so good. Wait, so you wait, so that you went with your mom after the bathing suit fitting to CCBY and yeah. did did you, is it something happened there or you just remember going there? No, I just remember being kind of nice. The idea that she was like, let's go get like oh, a dessert. I see. You know I see. I mean? She was saying like, keep eating. But like, so yeah. did she notice later on when you were like, mom, like no pasta for me. I'm going to have the salad. Like, like what was your family keyed into that change for you? I think it was just probably a teenage girl trying to be a little bit, you know, being insecure and conscious of her weight. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't like dr- hard turn. I would still eat pasta and all that stuff which because i was really sporty hashtag yeah. so what we, sports did you play i played basketball and soccer i was the captain of my basketball and soccer teams wow okay and our school had a tradition like before game days we would all get together and do spaghetti dinner at someone's house on the team we would like all take turns and so we would eat like a massive amount of pasta uh-huh so it wasn't that restrictive but yeah it's like now I, it's not that i eat quote whatever i want i'm not just gonna hit up mcdonald's mm-hmm. every day but i don't restrict myself that much at dinner times well you know it's it's funny because like i'm friends with a lot of people who like are very much in shape and have amazing bodies and they and they like look at uh, the the question i get the most is like how do you eat like that like how do you eat like so much you know and i've realized that like i need to take seriously the pleasure that people get from having a good body as, as, as equivalent to the pleasure I get from eating whatever I want. You know, it's like, they're just different forms of pleasure. I mean, we talked about that earlier, but I, this is like a different way of phrasing it, which is that like caring. I mean, as long as you're being healthy about it, yeah. Um, you know, and you're not hurting yourself. I do think that it's a legitimate path to like choose to not eat as much and just like work on your body and like look really good. 
Yeah, like you have to just weigh, which is better. I mean, but you're in shape and you look like you work out. And do you have? Do, would you oh, want to lose weight? Thank you. I mean, I didn't like. <laughs> I mean, if you say so. Uh, no, I mean, but like, like we're going into the cool weather season. Like, I got very much into shape, like going into summer last year. Mm-hmm. Like, we we were going to Provincetown with Ryan O'Connell and a you bunch of people. You got lose weight for that. I'm yeah. Sure, if you were well, now. Provincetown is just like full of gay people, and in the summer, I mean, like summer as summer as a motivation is a huge motivator. And you have to keep in mind, like I yeah. never really exercised that much in my life, but like recently, like, I joined you know i started going to the gym and i started like drinking smoothies at lunch which was a big thing for me which oh. was like if i drank a smoothie at lunch similar to like the kind of time restrictive eating like it, it just did something mentally for me where it was like okay I'm not having a big lunch yeah um and it felt different and then i would have a big dinner but like somehow it just changed the calculus of but all of this is to say like now that it's fall i'm just like eating everything and cookies and um baked goods and scones and yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that's like, go ham. I'm like down to gain a few pounds in the yeah. winter, but I'd rather n- not like basically regulate my weight because the idea of having to lose weight yeah. s- more than a couple pounds sucks. You can lose a few pounds and that's fine. Well, what I find with Ryan, and Ryan is becoming like the subject of this podcast, yeah. but like he um, is very, um, what's the word, like ritualistic about going to the gym. Like it's like, it's almost like a totem from, it's like he can't not, he can't break his routine. Yeah. And I really admire that. And I really get that. Cause like for me, it's like, if I don't go to the gym on Monday, it's like, forget about it. I'm never going to go. So how many times a week do you work out? Oh, well like this time of period of my life, like I went like once this week, but right. when I was really going, I went five days a week. That's a lot. I mean, that's like like doing a little bit each time. Yeah, I'm not one of those people that like goes to the gym for two hours, but working out is insanely integral for my mental health, I've realized. So do you go every day? I don't go every day. I have, so I do, like I'm training in kickboxing. Oh, cool. I don't know if I'm ever going to actually spar because I like care and vain about my face, but. Um. <laughs> you can kick me in the face if you want. I mean, that's kind of my thing. Just kidding. No, I'm sure you've encountered that before. Husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you're doing kickboxing. I do like two, that twice a week and it's like an hour long each time. And it is truly the di- most difficult workout that I ever have done in my life. Like I leave thinking I'm dying. Really? It's just so much. Is someone just like stressful. holding pads and you're just kicking them? Basically, it's like you, um, you know, you, it's like a training, like you, it's cool because you're learning a skill yeah. as well. And it's, I mean, also like, you know, sprinting and sit ups and they have you do all that stuff. And, but then kicking and punching actually takes a lot of energy because mm-hmm. you're like exerting a lot of energy at once. And it's literally being able to like, punch something gets out a lot of your aggression yeah that does sound nice i know and then like three other four other days a week i'll just like work out for 30 minutes okay i have to ask you this i thought it might come up naturally but maybe it hasn't um but knowing that you write about sex and do the vice show and stuff like have you encountered like food sex things at all in your career oh that's so interesting i mean like people who like feed each other like baby food or i don't know like fetishes or well, I do. I mean, I wouldn't have even remembered this, but I remember one time interviewing an adult baby where, you know, those guys, it's like it was a middle-aged man basically who liked to be put into diapers mm-hmm. and he liked to be um, fed through a bottle, like milk through a bottle. Mm-hmm. But um, also there's this woman, we did an episode of uh, first season about luxury sex. So it's kind of like people who kind of invest a lot of into their sex life, sex toys, things like that. And there's a woman named Bethany Vernon who's, incredible and she makes these like really high-end sex toys out of like silver and gold and like a lot of them are bespoke and she does this um thing where there's a she calls them dilettos but i mean realistically they're butt plugs but she gets mad when i call them that so they're butt (laughs) plugs that are like they look like there's these ornate butt plugs made of either silver or gold and you put them in someone's ass but they're uh obs but they're um they're also like wine decanters (laughs) so then (laughs) I did not see where, I did not see where that was going. <laughs> Wait, what? They're like these mini, like, like ball shaved decanters. So then you can like unscrew them and drink wine out of your partner's ass. <laughs> oh my God. I really did not see that coming. Sharp turn. But, yeah, wow. So that's a kind of sensual yeah. food anal experience. Yeah, wow. 
Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, I wonder if there are wine experts listening who've ever tried this before. No, no, you could do, like, wine tasting. Yeah, that uh, sounds... Different people have asked. I mean, talk about, you know, terroir. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's very specific. That's specific. I mean, when people, like, literally incorporate food into sex, they're, like, feeding their partner in bed. Like, I can't do that. It's very, like, Ricky Martin music video. Like, I'm like, well... (laughs) Really? So you've never like, embarrassing to me. like done like a can of whipped cream or whatever those things are like people like the cliche sex and food stuff. No, I don't think it's bad when like, people do it, but like, I would be far too embarrassed to do that. It's yeah. like too much. Can you do that? No, I don't think so. I'm also like too fastidious. Like I would be like, oh, this whipped cream is like synthetic. Like I should go like whip it by hand, you know, and then the you know, I would have like soft peaks by the time, you know, just it just wouldn't be perfect. No. But wait, that was that was a good one. You, I mean, I'm sure you had others besides the butt plug wine decanters. That was it. Um. No, I can think of drugs and sex, obviously, but that's right. not the really the vibe of the podcast. Food and sex? No, not that no, thing. No, yeah. a lot of weed and sex, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever dated a chef or someone who was very good at cooking? Oh, interesting. No, I dated this. My last year's relationship before this was um, I dated a woman. It's my only lesbian relationship, but she really liked cooking and she was Spanish. She would cook Spanish food. And at the time, I was just so not interested in cooking. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be like, let's go to a restaurant, like just being a, like a whiny little bitch. Wait, you were like Kim Cattrall on Sex in the City, the episode where she becomes a lesbian in that. And it was... Um a Spanish a, woman. Yeah, who uh, like wanted to cook for her. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you didn't want her to cook for you? We obviously she cooks sometimes, but it was sort of like to me that was the non-special eating experiences. This is I don't know what that's kind of mean and horrible. Yeah, wow. Okay, this is getting good. Now I've really cracked the coconut. Wait, so you did not want her to cook cook you a meal because you wanted to get out. Yeah, I wanted to get out of the house. Okay, so here's something that you can probably relate to. When you're a writer mm-hmm. and you spend all day writing at home, you want to get the fuck out of the house. Yeah, tonight. that's true. Yeah, and I think that's partly why. I mean, for me, the cliche of writers writing a lot is that. When you're home alone in this solitary, lonely experience, you want to decompress in a social, like, lively atmosphere and drinking a a lot of time is part of that. Like, there's been times in my life when I worked when we were producing the Vice show, we'd be at the office all day or we'd be shooting all day. And when you're with people all day, at the end of the day, you do want to go home, cook and chill out. So in this period of your life, you were home all day and she was like, let's stay home more. And you were like, I need to get out. Yeah, like I I feel cabin fever. All right. I didn't mean to be so judgmental when you were saying that. Because I mean, mine is interesting (laughs) because like I write at coffee shops during the day. So I am out during the day writing and I see people and then I come home at night and I cook. So I think that's partially why I think I I would get cabin fever for sure if I was home all day. No, it's true. I mean, I've always, people have always said write from a coffee shop and I just can't. I don't like sitting up. I like lying down. Oh, you write lying down? Yeah. There's certain writers that do that. And I've always been fascinated by that. I write from bed. People are always like, don't write from bed because you have to have your bed be like a relaxing place. I'm just like, I got a bad TBH. Well, Stephen Sondheim, you know, who like the musical theater yeah. guy, like he writes in bed and he says he, it's also so that he can like take naps, which, yeah. sound, which sounds lazy, but I actually think it keeps you more in touch with your unconscious mind too. It's like yeah. if you're sort of like in a dreamy state and you're writing, I and mean, he like wrote some of the greatest like musicals of all time. It's like, there's something to that, I think about sleep and like comfort and writing in that area. Yeah. Being able to have it not be so militant, being able to sort of like go in and out of that because it's difficult to write unless you're on like a fuck ton of Adderall it's difficult to like literally sit and like write yeah. for six hours I That's, mean no I can't do that no, I, I do, do like that. honestly like at my most um, productive I'll write like for three hours a day like that's the yeah. most I think I can really write like in, in give and take like minutes of like searching the internet and like looking at Twitter and stuff okay totally. wait, be- before we like end we're not at the very end but I feel like we did skip over the um London, like, free, free, you said freegan? Freegan. It's like I, when you eat for free. I'm yeah, like, I want to know more <laughs> details about that. I mean, what do you like? What are some of the things you remember eating during that period? Well, here's an interesting story. So, uh, we used to do this thing called bin banquets, where, because, like, in London, they call the garbage a bin. Okay. And so we would all, the idea that we were trying to go for, which often failed, is that, like, ev- no one has ever, anything, but everything is everyone. So we would, like, take turns doing the dumpster diving and that you would sort of have to do your part in providing that the harvest or whatever. Okay. And so then sometimes we would do this thing called bin, ban- bin banquets where the idea was to be able to like feed everyone in the house or friends and stuff like 10 to 15 people and everything would be for free. Okay. So we would have to like down to, we would steal alcohol from like 
the store uh-huh. and we would get like salt sachets from McDonald's. Like, so you can't spend money on anything. And we would have kind of amazing spreads of food because often you get like, um, like a bunch of the same thing will go out at one time. So it's like, Oh, all the milk goes out of date this day, you know? And then, Oh, all the frozen pizzas are going out of date at once. So it doesn't trickle as much. So you'll buy, you'd get a lot of the same thing. I see. So the stores were like, here you go. Here's just like a ton of milk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they put them in a dumpster. Oh, they, they really do throw it out. Yeah. They throw it out. So you have to like, so get you were like the dumpster. physically in a dumpster. Yeah, like physically in a dumpster. And would you like eat things straight from the dumpster? Like, would you like see like an eclair and be like, "Ooh, this looks good," and like bite into it? <laughs> no. Okay. So it was That's like another it was like, level. It was like packaged. packaged. Yeah, everything packaged was packaged. Things. Okay. And then you take it home and wash the package. Yeah. I mean, some supermarkets were super dark because they didn't like people rooting for their bins and making a mess. They they'll stab the food and they'll try and deter you from uh, driving. And then some of the supermarkets are like less hor- horrible and don't mm-hmm. do that. Um. Lots of things like things that go out of date are like the like fast fastly turnover food or like sandwiches mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, pizzas. I mean, veg like you you'd get vegetable. I mean, really anything. Um, That's yeah, really like hummus. Like I don't. I'm trying to think of what we had for that bin banquet. It was like we wouldn't really cook food because like do you, and you, do you have someone like making something in the stove? But it would just be like an enormous spread of things that had just been thrown out and when you left that lifestyle and you came back to the states did it any of it stick with you like would you like walk past the garbage can and be like oh i could like make a feast out of that jug of milk or i don't know like <laughs> did, 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 you, did that stay you with chug you chug that milk <laughs> yeah. you could house it no. yeah like did you still do it well it's like less common in New York that like people don't do that. And I think they would actually think it's like straight disgusting, but there was a bagel place in Williamsburg when I moved to New York that they would throw out bags of bagels into the street. I can't remember what it was somewhere, but we would go and take those bagels, me and my roommate. And then I think that that's the only thing I can think of. I didn't do that anymore, but I ate a lot of rice and beans. Mm-hmm. I was like super broke when I moved there. And then I worked at a restaurant called M noodle. Oh, that sounds familiar. It's, Truly, like the best fucking Chinese food. It's um Shanghai style Chinese food, so it's like noodle soups and dumplings. Okay, and like rice dishes. Mm-hmm. It's on Metropolitan, right near the Lorimer stop in Williamsburg. It's pretty cheap. I recommend it so hard. Oh wait, it's like right across from the bar Metropolitan, right? Didn't you tell us that the Metropolitan is just around the corner? It's like a one minute. Walk. Okay, yeah, that's amazing. And it was open till six a.m., so it was like a lot of people after leaving Metropolitan. They would go there. Yeah. Or- or just like being out in the neighborhood. And I would eat there a lot because we would get a 50% discount. Nice. That's one of the things I miss about New York, by the way, like eating like at 6 a.m. You know, it's like bars staying open till 5 a.m. It's like in L.A., it was kind of shocking when I moved here that everything stops at like 2 a.m. That's it. All the bars close. Restaurants close at 9. Yeah, they close so early it's here. It's so fucking weird. It's yeah. like people go out to dinner at 9.30. Like, what do you, t- 9? I That's know. so weird. In New York, like, we went to see a play and we had dinner at 11 o'clock. Like, like we had a reservation for dinner at 11 o'clock and it was like, no one batted an eye. Like, we showed up and they were like, hey, welcome to dinner. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's was, like full. Yeah, it was packed. Okay, we're at the end of the podcast so now I'm going to officially ask you. Like, Sad. Oh, I know it is. I know this is really fun. I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of ground, um, but now I'm going to, I want to hear more about what you were making for dinner tonight. Okay, so I'm having Ryan over for dinner because we, Ha- try and have a FaceTime once uh, or it's sort of like therapy sessions, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of processing sure. hashtag. So he's coming over and I very rarely have people over. So it's kind of a fun new thing for me. I'm cooking pasta mm-hmm. with, I'm going to use my dad's sauce recipe. Which one? It's pretty much like straight basic, like oil and garlic, letting it simmer for a million years, fresh it's I do a combo of fresh um, tomatoes and canned tomatoes. Yeah, that's nice. Is that, so you is get that the, good? The acidity of the um, fresh tomatoes and the depth of the canned tomatoes. And salt and pepper. And also something that my grandmother used to do, which I do, is like put a tiny bit of sugar in it yeah. to tone down the bitterness. Sure. That's, that's good, fine. Right? Yeah. And you have to just trust your own taste as it cooks. You yeah. just like taste it and be like, oh, this needs a little this or a little that. Do you do red pepper flakes? That's always nice. Red pepper flakes. But I put them in at the end. Oh, actually, you know what? Something I did last time that I might do this time is if we get dried chilies mm-hmm. and fry it in with the garlic. and. Um, that's great. Is that a good idea? You know what else is good in there? Yeah. It's an anchovy. Really? Oh, but um, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I could do that. I mean, if you wanted to go in that direction, like it makes I don't it a like little. Anchovies, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where it will disappear into the sauce, and you okay. won't know what it. I mean, you'll know because you're the cook, so don't do right. it then. But, <laughs> but it, um, it, um, what's it called? Like it adds like kind of an umami kind of flavor to that it. That makes sense. Yeah, I do that. I mean, it's, it's more like a Putinesca sauce, so sort okay. of like a fishy thing. So I put like anchovies and capers and olives <gasps> and that kind Those of. Those are good. Yeah. Is this? Do you put onion? Yeah. You do? Yeah. I mean, I'll okay. put whatever I have. Like, whatever. I just open the refrigerator. I make pasta all the time. So good. I also like zucchini in it. Oh, okay. That's healthy. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to cheese plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Is what, that you, too you, much? You, have, you look like you're like a deer in headlights. Is that trash? No. I think, I think honestly, Ryan will love that. Yeah. You have to know your audience, I think, when you cook. So cheese plate with like things like dates. And I got this spread from Trader Joe's. It was like pepper spread like a you know to put along with the cheese it's like a kind of jalapeno sweet jalapeno mm. spread i don't know if that's gonna be good wait is this before or after the pasta before so it's like you'll be sitting you'll be catching up and you'll drink wine right. and you'll have this cheese plate yes and ryan's gonna bring some fucking weird complicated semi-gross in a good way wine because he's like obsessed with choosing he's like i don't trust you to choose the wine i yeah. was like same and then um a salad a tricolore salad with the pasta do you think i should serve that all at the same time as the pasta or i think before so. i like it at the same time my new thing is i i once wrote a very controversial bl- blog post <laughs> <laughs> called like never put cold food on the same plate as hot food like i was like very like fist- i was like don't do that. It's terrible. Because I went, I'd gone to this place in New York called Parm, which was on the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, and they served, like, Caesar salad and, like, a hot eggplant parmesan. I was like, oh, this is horrible. But now I've completely, completely changed my mind about that. And I love salad on the same plate as, like, pasta or, like, like lasagna. Because I think you get a little of, like, the, the vinegariness and the, like, vegetalness yeah. of the salad. And then you get, like, the kind of meatiness and the cheesiness and the richness of the pasta. And so you prefer that to having, like, a little salad bowl? Well, it depends. I mean, like, you know, what kind of noodle are you using? Penne? Is that a bad idea? No, that's a great idea. Okay. I think you need to be more, be, be more confident about this meal you're making tonight. Okay. I, I sense a lot of insecurity. <gasps> oh, I put wine in the sauce, too. Do you do uh, that? Is it wine that's been decanted in a butt plug? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put it in my own ass all day. <laughs> it adds, don't tell them. Yeah, it adds the umami flavor <laughs> if you do that. No, wine is great. I'm trying to think what else is, like, my secret tricks. Like, um... Well, do you, one of the best things you can do is like cook the sauce in one pan and then cook the um, pasta very al dente and then finish cooking the pasta in the sauce. You know that? Oh, no. So you put, you put the sauce in the pasta. So like I use a spider tool, which I can give you because I just got a new one, but it's like you lift the penne out of the boiling water. You taste, you know, you know, run like cold water on one bite into it and if it's like still very very firm mm-hmm. but like mostly cooked through so if the package directions say cook for nine minutes let's say this is like seven minutes okay. and you'll taste it and it'll be like oh this is mostly cooked through but not all the way cooked through and then you lift the pasta into the tomato sauce and all the pasta in there and you turn up the heat and you stir it and stir it stir it and if it's very dry in there add some of the pasta water to it mm-hmm. and okay. it will make it all marry together it will, it will it will make the pasta absorb the tomato sauce and um, it would just it just all becomes one, and it's amazing. You have to use a really big saucepan then. Yeah. Okay, I could think I could do that. What I did last time is I would like drain the pasta, put it back in the little pasta thing, yeah. and then put a little bit of olive oil in it. You uh, think that's a good no, idea? Or no, bad? bad idea. Why? Because the olive oil doesn't allow the pasta sauce to stick to the pasta. Shit. Okay, that's a really good advice. Because the pasta is starchy, and and you know the the water is starchy, which is why if you add a little pasta water when you stir it all together, it helps it adhere to the pasta. Oh, shit. Okay, this and is then, really important. And then when you do that, like when you stir it all together, then you turn the heat off, and then you add a ton of Parmesan cheese and stir that in. Yes, I have fresh ground Parmesan. Great. Are you proud of me? Yes. From Sur La Table. That sounds delicious. <laughs> and then you can put some more basil in there and a little drizzle of olive oil and some red chili flakes. It sounds delicious. Where do you put the olive oil? Just right on top? Yeah, when you serve it, you can just put some fresh olive oil on top. It will give it like a ar- good aroma. Dude, I got the best fucking olive oil. I now I'm not gonna be remember what it is, but I, Sur La Table or whatever. They're yeah. so nice, and they let you do an olive oil taste test. Ooh. It's like makes everything good. Yeah, good olive oil is amazing. I just got like really cheap good olive oil from this wine shop I go to, and then my friend came over. He's like, "Well, of course it was cheap. It's like 2017." Because like the new thing now they say is like it doesn't matter how fancy your olive oil is; it matters how fresh it is. 
Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Um, well, Carly, this was a lot of fun. Do you feel good about this podcast? This is truly one of the best podcasts I've ever done. Like, not to be like really? kissing your ass, but it's because I just got to talk about something else <laughs> except like being slutty for the first time ever. I mean, yeah. I did make you talk about butt plug wine, but that's true. But that's also like I haven't talked about it that much, honestly. And it was really like a highlight <laughs> for me. So I hope that's okay. You're well, welcome. Thank you. All right. 